What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design. This is a live episode on Twitch, and the audio will be posted to your podcast player after the fact. We've got James Perkins on to talk about building a SaaS product and how it's a lot less scary than you think. Everyone, my name is James Quick, and I am a staff developer advocate at PlanetScale. Hello, my name is Amy Tetton. I am the director of design at Zeal. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. And we are happy to have three amazing sponsors for this podcast episode. One is Zeal that Amy mentioned, who is hiring. Vercel, who will meet all of your hosting needs. And Dato CMS is a pretty cool headless CMS that you can get up and started and running with in a short amount of time. So thank you to all of our sponsors. But we want to welcome our guest, James Perkins, to the stream. So James, welcome. Do you want to kind of introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about what you do? Yeah. My name is James Perkins. I am a developer advocate for Tina CMS. We run a get-backed, markdown-powered, open-source editor that you can use. Headless, super good, works for Next.js, love it. And I also run a SaaS called Royal Tweet which allows you to turn a Twitter thread or a tweet into a blog post with a single click. Love it. I think we've got a lot of opportunities to dive into that more. Before we do, we've kind of discussed, based on some previous feedback, having a couple of extra segments here at the beginning. Usually, Amy and I just kind of chat casually, but we're going to formalize that a little bit, and we're going to start with parenting tips or hashtag parenting with Amy. So, Amy, do you have any like parenting stories <laughs> or tips that you yeah. want to share with people? Yes, I don't think we need to fully get rid of the original preamble because I'm sure people enjoy your woodworking tips. <laughs> so, well, I'll have, to, I'll have to put that into my rant somehow, but we'll figure our, it out. Our running stories, yes. Mm -hmm. So my parenting tips, um, my kids, they need to, to learn our phone numbers. Like their teachers actually emailed us and said that your kids should learn your phone number. And I understand it's like a safety thing if something happened, they should be able to contact us. But usually in their day-to-day -day life right now, like whoever they're with has our contact information or, you know, if you have a smartphone, you just tap it. You don't necessarily have to memorize phone numbers anymore. So part of it is like trying to help them like be motivated to even learn because it's not like it comes up daily. So what we did to motivate them and get them to learn our phone numbers was we changed the passcode on the iPad to be our phone number. So they learned it in like a day. That's super smart. <laughs> yes. That actually yeah. is genius. I was not yeah. expecting to be that excited about parenting tips, but that's genius. <laughs> like I was kind of yeah. like, you know, it's been funny that we've done this, but now you've really say, set the bar for parenting tips yeah. for hashtag oh, parenting well, in the future. So. <laughs> um, but as a result, like I don't think I knew my husband's number until we changed the passcode. Now I know it. <laughs> Gosh. That's one oh, thing. Good. One thing you definitely need to know is I think spouse numbers. 100%. Do you know social security numbers? That could, I guess, be maybe another. Jess knows my social. I don't know hers, and I feel bad mm -hmm. about it. I, I know <laughs> I know my wife's Do you? and her a cell phone. I don't think she knows either off nice. the top of her head. But That's good you know. bargaining power you got. There you go, see? You don't even know my phone number or my social? <laughs> <laughs> I can see that being useful in a conversation. <laughs> I'm so sure there, they know our... your number. <laughs> Fun. Pun maybe. intended. That's right. <laughs> so the next little section we have for our intro is 
quick rants or just like opening rant or something. So someone posted this video on TikTok saying the headline was basically like, no one's going to give you a tech job or a development job based on your social media presence. And they go on to like talk about you're not going to get hired based on social media presence. You're going to get hired because of like having the chops and you have to know your stuff and you have to write code and stuff, which like I agree, right? Like you're not going to get a job if you sound like an idiot when you go to the interview and talk about the stuff that you're working on. But the thing for me, and I think all of us are probably in a similar boat, like those things, they're not mutually exclusive from each other, right? Like we have all built our presence on social media around creating content, which gives us a reason to learn stuff better to reinforce the things that we learn. And like we'll talk about this today, James, like you're using social media to talk about the thing that you're building, the product that you've been building over the course of several months. So to me, those things like are not mutually exclusive at all, like social media presence and building a platform around creating content from a technical perspective has opened up millions, not millions, but tons of doors for me that otherwise would not have been available. So my rant is like, you don't have to do social media, you don't have to create content, you don't have to be involved in the community. But if you want some hacks to like open up more opportunities and take your career to the next level, those are really good options to consider. I agree. I wouldn't even have the job I'm in right now if I didn't have YouTube. Yep, because it was a YouTube video that caused mm-hmm. them to know who I was, and then I had an interview, and then I had a job. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. how like think about like a resume is just words on a page, right? Like, yep. what better way to show that you understand something than to create a video or an article about it? Not in addition to showing teaching and communication skills. Like, there's yep. there's so many reasons. Anyway, so that's mm-hmm. that's my quick rant, and I think we're gonna set the stage here with James's other James's rant with Perkins's rant. Do you have a rant that you want to share that maybe is relevant to the conversation we're going to have today? Yeah, so this kind of leads into the product that I built. But about six months ago, Twitter threads became this all-encompassing learning tool. So people would create content using Twitter threads, and it would be lackluster, missing information, whatever. So you're trying to teach this tech concept in a you know 280 characters times however many... Th- threads that you want to do you miss out a lot of context there you miss a lot you know you just end up basically cutting it down to make it fit and not make it too long and people use this as a growth hack right so if i keep doing this people keep following me even if the information is not correct or you know used in a specific way and i think the biggest one i had was someone was like you should never use var ever again like never use var in javascript ever again and here's a reason why. And it was like a thread that was like, had nothing to do with why you shouldn't <laughs> use VAR, but like you should use constant let always. And uh, that started me posting on people's threads. <laughs> like this should be a blog post. And then here we are now, six months later, I now have a SaaS product that does the exact thing that I've been complaining about. But yeah, Twitter threads are super useful, but not for educational purposes. Stop trying to educate people in 280 <laughs> characters times whatever it doesn't work just write a blog post it's definitely tough i think we've always like we've talked about this in the past like i disagree a little bit because i think if you find the right content you can fit it in there and i think what really exaggerates your point is the fact that people were leveraging that just as a format because of visibility and not necessarily providing the value that they should have in those snippets so i love like the really quick snippets even if it's not a thread just in a short tweet i think that's super valuable but using it as a hack to just try to get engagement and stuff and not making sure that the content is first and foremost and correct and valuable, I think is definitely like detrimental to the experience that people can have. Yeah. And if you're a new developer, it can steer you in the wrong direction pretty quickly. 
And then, like, if you get a job industry that's still not using Constant Let for some reason, <laughs> like they have old legacy apps that are using VAR, and then you go in and change every VAR to Const. Like, and then, oh, all of a sudden nothing works. Like, <laughs> well, a Twitter thread told me to use const instead of R and I did it and now it doesn't work. Those kinds of things like really can be detrimental, like when you're first starting out in the industry. So, yeah, which I haven't used a VAR in years probably, but like the difference is I know why I'm using constant let and how to use right. them and how they differ. Right. So that's mm-hmm. the important part. Yeah. When so, I supported old legacy apps, I used VAR all the time because mm-hmm. constant let didn't work. So, yep. you know. yeah, exactly. So you kind of, I think you kind of introduced like the idea of the SaaS that you've been working on. You, it's Roll Your Tweet. People can go and check it out at it is rollyourtweet.com. Yep. Yep. Rollyourtweet.com. So you kind of talked about like the pain point or like what you were wanting to fix. But what is Roll Your Tweet? Like what exactly does it do for people to help prevent the scenario that you just talked about? Yeah. So it doesn't prevent the scenario, but it allows you to essentially add on to this scenario, right? So let's say you've spent you know, the last two hours making this really nice thread, it's educational, or or it could be non-educational, but it could also be in a format of a blog. The problem is now is getting it back out of Twitter and putting it into a blog post. It's very hard to do that. Like Twitter doesn't offer that. You could use the API, but the API is not friendly. So what Royal Tweet does is you log in with your Twitter account. It goes and grabs the last 3,200 tweets and stores them in our own database. And then if you've got a thread, you can click it and we'll stitch the thread together into the beginning of a blog post. We then give you a rich text editor that's really easy to use. It's just like an email client. It's the exact same format. You can add images. You can do whatever you need to do. And then you can click download markdown for free. And we'll just give you the markdown file that you can upload to wherever you need to. And if you pay for the subscription, you can just click a button and we'll send it to Dev2, Hashnode, or Medium, or all three, if you have all three. We can do you know, any of those. So that's kind of the idea behind it, and it kind of relieves that friction and can be used by anybody. It doesn't have to be someone personal. Like if you're a business and you're writing threads, and you're like, man, I wish I had this in long format, you can just take that, and we can do that part for you, save you the time. This is where I pause, because I know I talk a lot, especially when we have guests, and I give Amy an opportunity. But I've got more questions. <laughs> Go for your question. Well, my question, I don't want to get you off of your train of thought, though. Go Just for like, it. Just go for good. it. Go. <laughs> so when people come onto the show, we have a Calendly form that they fill out, and it has mm-hmm. a suggested title. So for James Perkins, he said, it's not as hard to build a SaaS app as you think. Yep. And so I would love for you to dive into that a little bit, because... I mean, that's what we, as Zeal, that's what we do is we build these custom SaaS apps. And so some of them can be super complex. And that is intimidating to think about doing that by myself versus working with an entire team. And while you do that, I'll tie this really quickly to what I was going to ask is just like, what's the technology stack? So if you want to tie the technology stack into a conversation about why it's not as intimidating to build a SaaS, that would be a perfect combination of both of our questions, Amy. There there you go. (laughs) Yeah, so I think people get intimidated by the thought of building a piece of software that people are going to use every day. And when you build a SaaS, there's this sort of thing in the indie hacker space, which is where a lot of people build micro SaaSes, which a micro SaaS is just a SaaS that does a very specific job really well. And that's it. So you can think of, you know, FeedHive as an example. That's a good example of a micro SaaS. It did Twitter very well. Like 
scheduling all your tweets. It did that very well. And now they've expanded into more spaces. But the idea originally, the MVP was just Twitter. So when you build a SaaS, the code is about 10%. And then the 90% of it is just marketing in some nature, whether that's sending emails or Reddit posts, whatever, coming on podcasts, all those kinds of things. When you look at a SaaS, I can tell you right now that my whole SaaS runs on about a thousand lines of code. And that's like, and that includes APIs, like schemas for Prisma. It includes email templates that I've written that are responsive. All those things are included in there. So it's less than a thousand lines of code, which sounds like a lot, but when you start breaking it down, it's very small amount of code. So the tech stack, to give you an idea of what the SaaS is built on, it's built on Next.js, which is basically I build everything on Next.js. If you've known me for a long time, it's the only framework I pretty much use at this point. I'm using Clerk for authentication and user authorization. I'm using PlanetScale for a database. PlanetScale? What is yeah, this PlanetScale? Exactly. <laughs> that, that product that some people may have heard of. Um, right. I'm using Prisma to sort of make database requests really easy and then i'm using send in blue to send my transactional emails that's the whole stack and then it's deployed to render so it's not deployed to Vercel, and we can talk about that later about why so when you think about these pieces they make connecting front ends and back ends so simple today like if you look at prisma and planet scale together prisma allows you to create a schema and then it basically gives you JavaScript functions to create, update, read, write, do all those kinds of things that you might need to do. PlanetScale gives you the opportunity to essentially do GitHub PRs to your database, which then alleviates even more pressure, right? Like I have two branches, one that's testing and one that's my main branch that's production. I make a bunch of changes in testing. I test it out. I then deploy that change and it's done. And I don't have to worry about like, oh, no, I accidentally like dropped a database and now everything's broken. Like none of that exists because there's a lot of protection there. And then with Next.js, it makes it super simple to do server side requests all the time. And then Clerk basically gets rid of auth. So I originally had auth zero, like James, you already knew that. Like I had auth zero in the first MVP before the rewrite. And the only reason I didn't use Clerk in the beginning was they didn't support server side rendering. So now they support that, it makes it even easier for me to protect all my routes and do everything with that. And Clerk does everything. So they have pre-built components. If you've never used Clerk before, everything is pre-built. You can build your own if you want, but it has a sign-in, sign-out, has route protection. It has, you know, redirect to sign-in. It has user profile management. All of that is built into the product. So you basically just drop maybe 10 lines of code in, and then your whole app is already protected. And then you can just access sessions as you need them. And yeah, that's the whole stack. And I think what gets people intimidated is thinking, how does this all go together? Like, how do I make this happen? And the way I took Royal Tweet was I started with, how can I get somebody to log in? So I took that and said, oh, it's easy to, okay, I figured that part out. Now what do I do? Okay, now I need to find a way to retrieve all of the tweets from their profile. Okay, let me go and research that. So there's two pieces of an app done. And then I moved on to like, okay, so how can I get the text from that tweet and turn it into some sort of format that I can use an editor with? And then the final piece was like, okay, I already know how APIs work. I've been in the industry a long time. But like, how do these three specific APIs, Hashnode, Dev2, and Medium work? And can I get those together? 
And then in the final parts, it's like, how do I take payment? And that was probably the most complicated part was how do I figure out how payments work? But the rest was all just like tiny services stitched together into one place. And today it's easier than ever to write something that stitches those together. And a lot of people have already done it, but like one X where they're like, I want to connect to X and they've done that API piece. Now you just need to add more to that and you can create products from there. I love this. Like you've touched on like literally verbatim what I say in a lot of my talks and stuff about the same topic. It's never been easier and it's never been more accessible. It's never been cheaper Mm -hmm. to build a product. And it comes from the fact that there are all these different services out there that do the thing that you need in your application that are required for your application, but are not the secret sauce to your application. So from a development perspective, from a small team perspective, from an individual perspective, building out a SaaS, there's no need for you to build out all that stuff, right? Like leverage these companies that usually have really good free tiers. We'll get into like your total cost for running this in a minute, but leverage the free tiers to build out an MVP of something, get users, see how it's going, and then iterate and maybe make changes or maybe scale up from there. And now it's time to take a second to talk about one of our sponsors, which is Dato CMS. Dato CMS is a complete and performant headless CMS built to offer the best developer experience and user friendliness in the market. One of the things I think is really interesting and neat on their website is if you hover on their wide Dato CMS tab in the nav bar, you see sections for developers, digital markers, and content creators. So it's got the entire audience covered. They also provide a rich CDN-powered GraphQL API with real-time updates, which is really neat. So all of you who love working with GraphQL and are looking for something that has real-time updates, this is really, really cool. They also provide a super flexible way to handle dynamic layouts and structured content and then have best in-class image and video support with progressive image loading out of the box. So if you're looking for a headless CMS that can help represent every member of your team, make sure to check out Dato CMS. We've actually got, uh, we'll tag this as a grab bag question from one guy in the chat. One guy says that he's looking to build an app, a SaaS, and he was asking what your opinions are on building out the payments part of that early on or to wait until he actually has sign up. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, was payment something that was like in the original MVP? Did you start with free and then kind of scale that up to paid features as you had more time to work on it? Or what did that look like for you? Yeah, so I did a, something a little different, which is that I off, my app has a complete free tier that doesn't require any kind of payment. And that's just like a very basic generic version. Like I'll let you do as many threads as you want for free but you can only download Markdown. So you miss out on one-click integrations. And in the future, there'll be more features that you'll miss out on. But the theory is that if somebody likes your product enough, they will pay for it. But you need to make sure that you price yourself correctly. That's the bigger part. It's not about taking payments. Like I would advise offering either a free trial. If you want to take payments and it's a fully paid app completely, just do a free trial right out of the gate. Like Paddle, for example, as a payment processor, makes it really easy to add a long free trial as much as you want. You can do seven days, two days, 100 days, whatever you want. They'll allow you to do that. And if you just want to offer premium options, just integrate that immediately into your app and then decide whether or not you want to offer a free tier. But yeah, for me, mine has 100% free tier. And then I have the paid option for one-click integration. And in the future premium feature would be to turn a blog post into a Twitter thread, which is what I'm working on right now. Very cool. So I think I've referenced this on the podcast. Several years ago, I saw Wes Boss 
created this course on this is Flexbox. This is several years on YouTube. And I was like, hey, I'm looking to get back into content creation. Would you mind if I just asked you some questions? And basically one of the things that he said was kind of like fake it till you make it. Like pretend like yep. you're a big deal. Pretend like your product is a big deal. Pretend like the stuff that you're trying to convince people that they are going to benefit from is a big deal. So it's almost like there's kind of a mentality, I think, around paid features where it's like, I believe in my thing enough that it's a paid feature. Like, I think it's worth that to you. Now you have to make sure it actually meets the needs and wants of customers and et cetera. But if you're able to like confidently sell it, it's just like being in an interview, right? Like if I go in with confidence and sell myself, you're going to be much more willing to hire me than someone who can't portray that confidence in themselves. So I feel like it's almost like a reflection of the confidence that you have in your project as well. Yeah, I think people will pay whatever. People will pay hundreds of dollars if it solves a problem that they don't want to deal with. If you look at like software editing as an example, which nobody likes to do, but like Adobe, nobody likes their product, but they're willing to pay $30 a month, whatever the number is, because they basically have cornered that space. And it's the same for other SaaSes out there. Like FeedHive is a good example, or Buffer, or any of the other kind of social media, I want to be able to schedule a tweet. Like people are willing to pay $30 a month for that feature. I pay for FeedHive. I think it's a great yeah. example. It's similar mm-hmm. to you. Like it's been built in public. It's yep. iterated quickly. It's like responding to user feedback and stuff. And I actually just set us up for FeedHive at work, which I'm really excited about. Right. And like, if you look at the cost there, it's cheaper than a lot of the other people in that space. And Simon has done a very good job of it kind of making that a a good feature is that it's reasonably priced for what it does and people will pay for it clearly people are actively paying for it because simon has staff now and originally it was just him yeah just sell your it's all about marketing like building a SaaS is 10 percent code 90 percent marketing (laughs) nobody cares what tech stack you're using no one's gonna buy your product that oh this person's using remix like oh i gotta buy their product like no one cares no one sees that so yeah it's so funny that you said nobody cares about the tech stack because behind the scenes, I just I told Amy, I was like, you oh, should yeah. ask them about the tech stack changes, which like from a consumer perspective, no, they don't, right? Like they yeah. just care it works. But from a, you're on a podcast and we're yep. really interested, we care about the tech stack. Yeah. I can talk about the original MVP, which I wrote six months ago, and then what we have now. So the original tech stack was Next.js, Auth0, Fauna for a DB. And then it was deploy to resale, and that was it. So they were the four elements. And I use Stripe for payments. The new tech stack, which I've talked about once, but we'll go again, is Next.js, Planet Scale with Prisma, Render for my server, and then Send in Blue for my emails. And then just for the UI, which is another piece that everyone wants to love, is originally it was Chakra UI, which I have been a proponent of for years, it feels like at this point. But I am now using Mantine which is another React component library. And I just did a video on it, but it's basically Chakra UI, but better. So that's the tech stack. What prompted the change? So the changes, at least for the database, was complexity. So when I changed from Planet Scale to Prisma, my lines of code, like reduction, was huge. So my server-side query was something like, I think it was 150 lines on the index page. On the first page was 150 lines of code just to get tweets and then like update a few databases. And now it's like 10. And I do more now than I did before. All right, I'm going to clip this. 
and promo this through Finance Scale, but keep going. You're going to do that 90% marketing right, right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. So there was no historical tweets in the original one. I just got the first seven days and that was it. So every time you logged in, I just got the last seven days of tweets. Now, once you've logged in once, I get as many tweets as possible historically. And then every day I run a job that goes out and gets your last day of tweets. So every time you log in, your tweets will be up to date. How do you do I have a million questions? How do you do the job? That's one of the things I've oh. struggled with in serverless is because like I could do a full node application and trigger a cron job. But in a serverless, you don't necessarily have something that's long running to check that. And there's a couple of different services and ways to do it. But I'm curious how you trigger those cron jobs. Yeah, so I'm using a, another product, which I forgot about in my tech stack, called Airplane. And essentially, mm. all it does is allows you to set automation. So you can say, on this day, at this time, run Micron jobs. And all I do is I make a bash script that says, ping this API with this secret code, and I'll do the rest. It's free up to, I think, some ridiculous amount of cron jobs a day that you can run. I don't really have to worry about that too much because it's so fast. Like the request essentially just says like, yeah, I'm done like immediately. And then it just long runs in the background. Originally, it would have been uh, Quirrell, which now is owned by Netlify. And they shut down their service from a new signup perspective. So you have to use Netlify. And I don't particularly like Netlify as a service. So I had to go and find another product. There is one more out there, but I used it originally and I actually tweet about how good it was. And then after that, it never worked again and nothing had changed. It just stopped running the job and <laughs> there was no, it looked like somebody had built it and then just kind of abandoned it. So yeah, I couldn't even like add my credit. Every time you clicked add credit card to pay for the service, it crashed the whole app. Oh, good. Oh, no. That makes you feel confident. So I was like, I guess you don't want any money. <laughs> I guess, yeah. 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 What, I guess what you was, don't want money. Which one was that? Uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. There's I one did... more that I had seen, which is repeater.dev. Yeah, that's another one. Okay. It was not them. Okay. Uh, we can leave off a name. I was just going to ask specifically about repeater.dev but that's cool i hadn't heard of airplane before so it's cool that you found one that works and then brad garapia who's listening he's been a collab episode in the past with the web mm-hmm. dev weekly podcast he has done that sort of stuff with github actions as well which i think is kind of cool we have that running on the compressed site with the github actions so it goes and checks the stats for sponsors and pulls all that information do we really mm-hmm. i didn't know this good <laughs> job amy yeah. crushing it I was going to say, I did think about using GitHub Actions to do the work. It really does exactly what you need it to. I just decided to separate that from the stack for now. And I just needed it to work like today. And I was like, oh, I don't have time to remember how to do GitHub Actions properly. Mm-hmm. When I know I can write like a really short bash script and just upload that to Airplane. And then they'll just run the script every time, which allowed me to move a bit quickly. And then I can refine things later. Cool. I'm kind of curious from the database perspective, you mentioned going from a bunch of lines with a fauna query, which like that's been kind of my struggle with fauna at times is querying in fauna is not supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> supernatural is also a show that I really like. But you mentioned moving not just the planet scale behind the scenes, which is on top of MySQL, but you mentioned using Prisma as an ORM. Prisma is becoming more and more popular. It's like the de facto way if you need to connect to a database that it supports people use Prisma and JavaScript. It's amazing. Is the difference in the number of lines of code, does it a lot of it come from the fact that Prisma just gives you a really easy to work with JavaScript API? So you're not having to write these big, long, kind of more unnatural queries with Fauna? 
not really, sort of, but not really. So Fauna does do a good job of having its own kind of ORM style JavaScript SDK that kind of does the same thing. The problem is you relationships are made complicated mm. in Fauna. For some reason, you kind of have to do like a query to then do a separate query. Unlike with sort of MySQL plant scale Prisma, you can do like, you know, if it exists, update it, otherwise just upsert. Those kinds of things like don't really exist very well in Fauna, which made, you know, making queries a bit more difficult because I'd have to do like multiple, like two or three queries in a row to get mm. the data that I needed to then update a database somewhere, which made it a bit more complicated. But with, you know, upsert being supported, that kind of reduced a lot of those like double queries. So it sped it up quite a bit. Cool. That makes sense. And one of the things, Amy and I have been working on the Everything Svelte course, and I just sent Amy a screenshot the other day of me figuring out how to do basically a join where I want to grab data from mm-hmm. this table. Well, I'm querying one table, and it has a relationship with another, and I want to grab that data too. So I just actually did that for the first time in Prisma specifically and sent Amy a screenshot of that, and she commented. She was like, this is so easy to be able to pull in this information that we need. Yeah, like I have six tables or seven tables and they're all joined on an account id and so like yeah like you said like i can pull all the tweets for say amy in a single query really quickly and then maybe you need to pull in like her subscription details and maybe if she has an integration set up like all of that is done and yeah prisma makes that really easy with fauna you have to write like an index and then a function and then you have to query that function and yeah, it becomes incredibly complex. Prisma makes it, yeah, relatively easy to do that. My only bad thing to say about Prisma is that they use the node modules to hold your schema and the way it's generated, which then leads to if you change your schema, you basically have to kill your build cache and rebuild everything. Otherwise, it just can't find those new details, which is really annoying. Especially when you're debugging, you're like, I swear this exists. And then you go and look and it's like, I can't find this column. This column doesn't exist. And then you go and look in Prisma and you see Planet Scale has that and you're like, it's there. And then you're like, oh yeah, I have to go and kill <laughs> my build cache to build it all again. Yeah. And I guess the flip side of that is that it has to happen that way for the Prisma client library to have the IntelliSense yep. as you're working through it. So there's a direct benefit associated with that. But it, it can be inconvenient if you forget to do that step and you're confused as to why it's not showing up. Yeah, and it's not so bad it's always usually i forget when i deploy the production Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh yeah i need to kill my build cache beforehand otherwise i'm just going to be using the old cached like node modules or whatever and that there happens to be a prisma article for for sale at least that says hey you should just change your like build settings to this and that'll fix it so yeah and let's take a minute and talk about vercel vercel will meet all of your hosting needs we're actually hosting the compressed.fm site and my personal site selfteach.me on Vercel. They also power more well-known sites like Twilio, but you can use them for e-commerce, travel, news, and marketing sites. You name it, they can host it. When I got ready to launch the compressed site, it was super easy. I pointed it to the GitHub repository and told it what folder my next.js project was in, and then it just worked. Ridiculous, right? But they also power over 30 plus Jamstack frameworks, including Create React App, Next, Nuxt, Vue, Ember, Svelte, Angular, Hugo, and Gatsby, just to name a few. But one of my favorite features is when you set up your account, you get your own dashboard, 
And here you can invite other team members to collaborate or view analytics. So as soon as I push the code to my GitHub repository, it deploys that code and I can watch the build in its entire process through their custom dashboard. So be sure to check out Vercel. I'll include a link in the show notes, but special thanks to Vercel for being a Compressed.fm sponsor. So since you're developing by yourself, what is your GitHub strategy in all this? Like what's the point of, I've even heard people ask, what's the point of using Git if you're just working by yourself? Yeah, so when you work by yourself, testing is really hard. <laughs> I have integration tests written that like check a few things, but I use GitHub as if I was working on a team of 100. So everything is done for the most part on a branch. That branch is then pushed up. I set a PR. I then go to render, which is my server. I wait for that PR to deploy. And then I test on the new deployment. And then I confirm that everything works the way I expect it to. And then I push that PR and close it out. The only thing that lacks usually is my GitHub comments are usually pretty terrible. <laughs> you mean you and the rest of the world? Yeah, sometimes they're really, really good. Code review? Yeah, <laughs> reviewing your own code. You're just like, you're like yeah, I got it. Looks yeah. good to me. <laughs> yeah, some changes. Looks good to me, close. Um, yeah, sometimes I do, you know, there has been a couple of times where I've committed late in the day and just been like some changes commit and then come back the next day and been like what does some changes mean and i have to like <laughs> look through the code so that's bit me a few times but yeah for the most part i treat everything as if i worked on a team of 100 people say that like you shouldn't do that when you're working on your own in the beginning but i can tell you for sure if you do it now if your SaaS does well and you're like i need another engineer or i need another developer having documentation having tests and having a good like workflow just allows them to just hop in and be like cool all right i've read the documentation i'm happy with how everything works and then you just go off and it's easy as anything else I like that i feel like it's i mean with any team right like you want to build good practices early on uh, mm -hmm. because then adapting to good practices when you're not used to doing them later on is a much more difficult transition yep so it's cool that you have that already in place and it works the same way right like the flip side so like at work Mm -hmm. like my nine to five job is at tina so like those practices get reinforced at my own job so it's basically like you know you finish your nine to five and then you start your five to nine which is basically what i do and it just works out really well that like the same flow happens it's just a different machine so for in render do you have it configured for like anything that's not your main branch will do like a, it'll give you a preview deploy, like it'll do a build, give you a preview deploy URL that you then go and do your testing and stuff against. Is that right? Yeah, sort of. So render does it by PRs, not by branching. So when you submit a PR, it will build that PR for you. And so I do the same testing strategy as like for sale or whatever with previews. Same idea, same concept. It's just with PRs instead of just branching, which is actually yeah. better for me because when I work on a branch, I can send up a lot of broken code at the end of the day. And I don't need Vercel to tell me or Render to tell me or whoever to tell me that it's broken. I already know it's broken. You don't <laughs> need to tell me that you can't build it. So I do appreciate the fact that it's on PRs. Yeah, that's cool. We've had lots of positive comments about Render. It's still been on my list to check out. They need to start paying me. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny how much promotion people get from us mm -hmm. loving products, which that's how you like scale a product, right? And yep. that's what evangelism is, is like, not only do you have people like yourself, who's a developer advocate, but your sphere of influence gets that much bigger as other people start to tell your story as well. So yeah, we're just yep. a group of people that are telling stories for a lot of different products. <laughs>
Yeah, render is really good. Even for static sites, like it's one hundred percent free for a static site. So if you have mm. like a Next.js site or whatever that's completely static, that's one hundred percent free. Works just as good as Next.js. And if you need SSR or you need like a node server, it's basically the same model as Heroku. So you get a free tier, but they'll shut it down after you know they'll cold boot it after fifteen minutes, and then they'll boot it back up. And the pricing is pretty reasonable, cheaper than Vercel if you have an organization. I think our buddy Scott has his site on Render as well. And it's really easy to use. It is very much the same as like Vercel, Netlify, all those kind of things. It's like, you know, connect your GitHub account, click the repo that you need. And then if you've got any variables that you need to put in, put those in and hit go and it's gone. And it's funny, like we're, I guess I would say spoiled. That's not the right word because I feel like it's the stuff developers deserve. But like any product that comes in the future has to match that, right? Like if it doesn't match, people aren't going to be interested. In the last couple of minutes, do you want to mention, you kind of talked about pricing. Do you want to do like the money aspect of this? So yeah, how much are things costing you? And then how much revenue have you made so far? And if you have like any specific plans for revenue in the future, I don't know how you think about that. But yep. what's the, the money side of this? Yeah, so roll your tweet for the first six months cost $0. Love it. So everything was done on a free tier. Now with the rewrite, it costs me $7. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> and a month. And that $7 is for my render server, and that's it. And the reason that I'm using render over, say, like for sale, where I'd normally deploy everything is that if you have an organization, which is what I have for Royal Tweet, it's completely separate from my own GitHub. It's in an organization. It's all there. They charge you $20 a month to do that. If you have an organization, immediately you have to pay $20, regardless to the seat size. So render, I can actually scale my product to either have multiple clusters, which is basically how I have it set right now. I have it set to three clusters. It runs one, and if a whole bunch of people go there, it will spin up another one and use that to kind of bounce around. I can use three of those for the price of one seat on for sale and have the same experience. So it cost me $7 revenue-wise, so I can give you some breakdown. In the original write, I had 1,100 free users use the product at least once. And some people coming back multiple times to download their own markdown. I have 15 paid users at $5 a month. And then I have one user paying $9.99 a month. And then I have a couple of friends who have completely free tiers. Like they have just unlimited access. So if you take that into consideration, basically, I worked out the calculations before, but they're even better now. So for every one person that pays for the product... I can support another 5,000 free users. And that's like, you know, it could change, but barely. And I think the only thing that may start to cost really for me would be authentication through Clerk. But because I know the guys over there, I can probably get a good deal. So I don't really have to worry about that too much. But that would be the only thing next for pricing. And then talking about revenue in the future and like what I'm going to do. Right now, we're about to start marketing again. I haven't marketed in a while because I've just been like letting it sit and let people talk about it. Now we're going to start doing marketing. I have to rewrite the homepage because the homepage has all the old stuff on it. It's not up to date. And then we're going to start marketing pretty hard to get users in the door. And then we'll just see what happens. And then I have a public roadmap that people can see like everything that's happening with the product. I love that. I especially love the mentality of one paid customer enables this many more free customers. Like that's a great way to think about it, I think, because then you have a good idea of like 
what's the threshold you can do to support what you have to support scale? And then also anything other than that is just revenue for you, right? Yeah. And that revenue just goes back into other things. So a lot of my revenue right now actually just goes back into making more YouTube videos more than anything else. Like I'm not too worried about the growth on the product itself. I'm more concerned about like increasing quality Mm-hmm. across the board on other things so like the sure mic was paid for by roll your tweet love it yeah so i use that money to like improve other things and in the future i'm thinking that maybe i can write a course around like how you can start your own SaaS for free and like that becomes another sort of source of revenue yeah and you've done such a good job of sharing that you've earned the reputation yeah or continue to build the reputation of a creator an entrepreneur someone that can show other people how to connect these products which we've talked about right like this is such a cool time to be a developer because there's services out there. It's never been easier and more accessible to just combine them together. Yeah. And this was a whole educational thing for me. Like I'd never mm-hmm. built from like I've built products from the ground up, but they've always been with a team. It's never been on my own. It's never been, you know, I get to pick the tech stack. I get to pick what I'm using. I get to lay the standard of how code is written. Are we going to ESLint prettier? You know, all those things mm-hmm. like I get to do. So it's been fun. Yeah, I love that. I still kind of talked about this beforehand. Like, I feel like I need that experience to just kind of see, go beyond the demo stuff that often we do, right? To actually see a product or build a product continually based on feedback and that people are using. Let me take a brief moment and talk about the company that I work for, Zeal. They actually sponsor our podcast. They design custom applications and develop primarily in Rails and React. They're a remote-first company even before the pandemic. They're based out of Southern Oregon, but I live outside of Nashville, and we have team members across the entire country. But Zeal holds a special place in my heart because, as I mentioned, I work there. But I can honestly say it's the best place that I've ever worked. And good news for you, they are hiring, so you could work with me. In particular, we are hiring a senior UI UX designer and front-end developer. I'm pretty stoked about this position because you'll be on my team. We have some really fun initiatives planned for 2022, so you get to be a part of that. In general, our whole setup is pretty unique. So you can find more information on the website, codingzeal.com. And of course, I'll include a link in the description below. So you got a couple of questions as we wrap up. We'll just kind of tag these as our grab bag questions. So one is from Teflon. They say, I might have missed this, but what tool are you using to do analytics in your app? So uh, yeah, what sort of analytics tooling do you have and what kind of insights do you get there? Yeah, so I guess I forgot about those. So I'm using Plausible, plausible Plausible.io to do analytics. It's alternative to Google Analytics. It doesn't dig and round in people's stuff. (laughs) It's basically privacy. So I'm using Plausible to do my analytics from a standpoint of like how you enter the app, where you move around in the app, where you leave the app, where are people dropping off, bounce rates, all those normal kinds of things. And then on the flip side of that, I also drive my logs to a log drain. So if you don't know what a log drain is, it's essentially a way to guarantee that your logs are stored for a period of time. And I'm using, I think it's data log for that, which basically they just drain all of my logs from render, puts it in there and I can see like, if a certain error happens, I'll get an email that says like, hey, this is happening. That's kind of weird. And then on top of that, if like an error threshold hits, like the same error occurs within 10 seconds, like X amount of times, I'll also get an email for that. I think like the analytics side is something people probably think about a little bit, but also the logging side from a production app standpoint, I think is something that people never think about, right? Like yep. we do console logs in our applications when we're doing demos and we never think about like, what does this actually look like? For a production application, if something goes wrong, what 
information do I have in here to go back and debug and figure out what went wrong? Because I don't just have the code running locally. I need to know what happened in prod to figure that out. Yeah, and a lot of people miss that opportunity. And I think it's, if you do good logging, like locally, and you have like a bunch of errors that are producing, my key element for you would be to make sure you have some sort of identifier to identify that person that's running into the error message. Because like if the error comes up, it says like error retrieving tweets, and that's the only error message you have, you have no idea who's experiencing this, and then you can't really backtrack and figure out why. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So yeah, at FedEx, that was like we'd have to do that so much if something went wrong, we would just scroll through, and it was in VI, unfortunately, because it was oh, on a yep. Linux server. So we'd have to scroll through in VI to run through these logs or like tail the logs to watch them as stuff is happening mm-hmm. to see what information we could get. I used to do that too. It was horrible. <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's another question from Faku who asked if you stream your work on your SaaS. Yes. Every Wednesday is working Wednesday, as I like to call it. Every Wednesday is a guaranteed Royal Tweet SaaS on Twitch. And then previously, basically the whole thing from the first inception, the very first line of code I wrote was on Twitch. And almost all of the code I've written has always been on Twitch. Every Wednesday, 2.30 to 4.30 Eastern. And I do have a VOD channel that I'm currently putting together that will house all of my Twitch VODs. So you'll be able to go back and look at them later. Nice. Love that. And one last question, I think, as we wrap up, is from Ismail. Ishmael, just asked if you could repeat your tech stack one more time for everybody that's listening. Yes. Okay, so the main tech stack is Next.js as a framework. We have PlanetScale and Prisma for my database and ORM. We have Render for my server. We have Sendinblue for my transactional emails. And that basically just sends you an email when you sign up for the first time. And then I'm using Paddle for payments. And I'm using Aeroplane for cron jobs. And then my webhooks are just done through Paddle. And then Analytics, Plausible. And then LogDrain is Datalog, which just houses all my logs. And that's it, I think. It's funny how like a couple of times throughout, you're like, oh, yeah, there's this other thing. And yep. that, again, goes back to the conversation of like, there's products to help you do whatever piece of your product you need. And now yep. it's getting back to the integration piece to be able to build the thing that you want to build and ship it to people. Yeah. And if you Google probably what you're looking for, you'll probably get a thousand results and at least a half dozen of those are decent. <laughs> Yep. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people in the industry that you can ping and ask and be like, hey, like I'm thinking of doing this. Does anybody have any advice? And there are people out there that'll be like, yeah, you should do this yep. or use this product. It's worked really well for me in the past. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Like those kinds of things. So people are very open. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it could be like general community feedback. And then also it could be people like you and I who are developer advocates. Like we love to have those conversations to help people and make sure that their onboarding process is as easy as possible. And or if not, we want to take that feedback and improve it, right? So reaching out to people that work at the company, the product that you're looking to use is a great way to get some of that interaction feedback and best practices as well. Yep, 100%. Cool. James, it's good to talk to you. I don't know when the last time we've kind of talked on camera is. So it's been fun to have you on. It's been a while. Um, I know, it's been, it has. But it's been cool to watch the journey of Roll Your Tweet as well. Uh, I need to join in for one of those streams sometime soon. So as a closing for people to know where to find you, do you want to give a shout out to like Twitch and Twitter and YouTube so they can go and find you? And we'll include links to these in the show notes. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. It's James underscore R underscore Perkins, which is just my full name. You can find me on YouTube. It's learn to code with James and Twitch is just my full name without the middle initial. So James Perkins, and that'll bring up my Twitch. I'm live 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, 2.30 Eastern to 4.30 Eastern. Tuesdays is a new topic. Wednesdays is working on my SaaS. And Thursdays is a Tina topic of some nature. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So everybody go and check out James on all the things. Thanks again for being here. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave a rating and a review in your podcatcher of choice. We would greatly appreciate that. It would help other people get some awareness about the podcast. In the next episode, in the next live version of the Compressed FM podcast, we're going to have Becca on to talk about community. So we're really looking forward to that one. So make sure to come back and check us out either on Twitch in the future on Friday, sometime between 9 and 11 or so Central Time, or on the podcast Catcher of Choice after the fact. In the meantime, that's all we got.